Well, good morning on this beautiful Friday morning in the seventh week of Easter. <clears throat> Tomorrow evening at our vigil mass, we will joyfully receive into our faith 30 catechumenates. And what I've come to experience both here with our, our catechumenates who will join our faith community here, as well as some my experience in seminary, where in your second year, you're assigned to teach our CIA as a student, student teacher. You, you get to know your catechumenates and what you find in discussing with them, because these are adults who are coming into the faith, why? And there are four themes that you, can, you hear time and time again, and I would suggest if we ask our catechumenates, which you're invited to do, please do that as you get to know them in the months and years ahead. Why? There's four things they'll often say. Continuity of the faith, consistency in its expression, courage of the faithful, and Christ. That in the, in the Catholic expression of the faith, in the Catholic community, in the global Catholic Church, they find that, that continuity, consistency, courage, and Christ. In our reading today from Acts and John's Gospel, we have those four themes expressed in a very, in a very uh, profound way. We have spent the past eight weeks in Acts and in John. That's by intention with the designers of our lectionary because, as you've heard said, following the mystery of Easter and the resurrection, the church then guides us to go look at how the church was initially started, and Luke overwhelms us with facts and dates and locations and individuals who, as contemporary hearers of his letter to Theophilus, which is what Acts is, they would have been able to go talk to those people and visit with them and see them and, and experience that which what Luke is clearly capturing in his letter. And today our passage comes from the 25th chapter. We, we jumped from the 23rd to the 25th overnight, and there's some important things that happen in the 23rd and 24th which we don't have the opportunity to uh, look into just now this morning. But, but it's important to know that Paul, who was in, on trial in uh, Jerusalem, has now been transferred under guard to Caesarea, Mary Tama. That's the, that's the big naval base on the coast of what is today Israel. Uh, Herod had built that big base. And so Paul is sent there with an company of 200 guards to bring him there because there are quite a few from the Sanhedrin who would like to do him harm because he's called him out. That's what we heard yesterday. And then in our, in our chronology of time, it's overnight. In his chronology of time, it was two years. He was sent down to Caesarea and he's held there in captivity for two years. And then we're told Felix, the governor, comes to see him. And then Felix is replaced by Porcius Festus and Porcius Festus goes to interview him. And then today we pick up where King Agrippa has now come to visit with him because Paul, in his courage, uh, says to them, as he's continually brought before them in trial, what law, he asks them, what law have I broken? What law of the pharisaical teachings have I broken? And they, they don't have one. Turns to the Roman governor, what Roman law have I broken? It hasn't, there isn't one. So they're dumbfounded as to why, in fact, this man is on trial, and Porcius Festus says that. He says to King Agrippa, I don't actually know why this guy's in captivity, because there is no law that he has actually broken. So <clears throat> what we have from Paul in prison 
in Caesarea is his defense of himself where he stands in the faith and he declares his experience with Christ and his conversion story. He, he provides that testimony multiple times. And in fact, Felix, who you heard me mention a moment ago, he and his wife, her name is Drusilla, Felix and Drusilla continue to come to see him at night because he's evangelizing Felix and Drusilla uh, at night. And Felix is the governor of, of the region. So this was very risky for Felix to do that. But he's so impressed by Paul's courage and by his consistency in his story that he is inspired, we can imagine the Holy Spirit's at work there, to come see him. We jump then to John's Gospel because these two Gospels parallel each other. Paul, who is going to leave this experience in Caesarea, he's going to be put on a boat and he's going to go to Rome. And in Rome he will be beheaded. Peter, in John's Gospel, is the focus then. We're in the conclusion of John's Gospel. Christ has risen. It's known by studies of script, students of Scripture as the breakfast on the beach. Christ, Christ has risen. It's some days after his resurrection. Peter and we don't know all, all who is there, but Peter and, and a subset of the apostles are out fishing, as is their norm. They see Jesus on the shore. They don't recognize him at first. Then they do. Uh, actually, John recognizes him first. Peter jumps in and swims to shore. And Christ says, as we know, captured in John's gospel, do you have, do you have any? Hey, bring some of those fish here. Do you have anything to eat? Bring some of those fish here. And they look down and they see Christ has already prepared a, a simple meal there on those charcoal coals. And what we have in this account is, as you heard Andy read, Christ is asking Peter, do you love me? And then he's assigning him the, what we know today to be the Petrine privilege. Christ is appointing Peter to be the head of the church. And what's so beautiful in our faith, affirming what our catechumenates say in terms of continuity, consistency, courage in Christ, is what we all celebrate here this morning. And we do it both in a very uh, expressive and spiritual way, but we do it in a very tangible way too. That's one of the attractions of the faith, is the tangible demonstrations of continuity. Peter will go to Rome as well. He will be crucified upside down in what is believed to be the year 64, AD 64. Nero arranges for that. Nero's the emperor. But before he dies, he appoints Linus to be his successor who appoints Anacletus to be his successor, who appoints Clement I to be his successor, who appoints Avicarius, who appoints Alexander I, who appoints Sixtus. Through the continuity of time, there's this appointing of a successor in the apostolic line of succession. In 1960, then sitting Pope Paul VI, uh, approves for an excavation to take place under what is the Basilica for St. Peter that Constantine had built in the year 310. So Constantine is the emperor who's living in Constantinople, but in Rome, he orders that a, a basilica be built uh, where it is believed Peter's bones and remains have been interred. And there was continuity of historians 
Eusebius and Jerome, who wrote about where Peter was buried. So there was some high confidence that those are in fact his bones. So in, in 1960, 19th century is removed, Pope Paul VI, the successor of Peter, orders that that site be excavated. It is, and lo and behold, they discover bones of a man who was approximately 61 years of age, so say the archeologists and forensic scientists, who died in mid-century, first century. And proximate to those human remains were other artifacts that were consistent with that time. So was that Peter? I don't know. It's quite likely that that actually was the, the burial, those are the burial remains of Peter. That was 1960. In 2019, last July, Pope Francis had those remains transferred to Constantinople, today modern-day Istanbul, and they were given to Bartholomew I, who's the current primate of the Greek church. So look at this continuity of time, continuity of time. That's on a global scale. This morning at Mass, I'm privileged to use the chalice of the priest who was here, who built this church through the generous offerings of the people of St. Thomas. And so Thomas Purcell, who was the pastor of St. Thomas, who came to Idaho in 1897, he died in 1914, but in 1909, his parents gave him that chalice. And then they put this window in the church or funded its, funded its placement. So here we are in 2020 in May, as we come to the conclusion of the Easter season, hearing about Peter and the succession of our faith and receiving the Eucharist consecrated proximate to the chalice that is the precious blood of our Savior that was the property of the church, but temporarily it's how we view it. We don't own anything. The property of the church temporarily given to Thomas Purcell in his ministry here and here I am, many, many, many years later, privileged to hold it. That, that's, what do our millennials do? Mind blow? That, that's how I see things some days. I'm overwhelmed by it. And then his mama and papa, the Purcells, said, you know what we need? We need to put a nice window in that church our son with his parish is building. And there it is, the Thomas Purcell window. So we are so privileged to be here today. As we go forward in our faith, let's pray intently. Uh, through the weekend for our new catechumenates and our confirmees, we will confirm 13 students on Sunday. And on the 14th of June, we have the privilege of offering First Communion to 24 young ones. And so our faith continues to grow and the continuity of our faith is lived out so joyfully in front of each of us each and every day. And your continuity in faith, those who come and do, we call it the yeoman's work. They come to daily mass in the morning, they grab the oar, and they keep moving the boat forward. That is what you are doing in your presence and in your prayers. But let's lift up our new ones, new in the faith or new to the sacraments. And as they continue forth, and many years from now, they will be here in the pews doing the yeoman's work. God bless you all.